This morning we're going to be looking in the Gospel of Mark in just a few minutes. Uh, Verse 33 of the passage I'm about to read uh, sums up the fact that Jesus has been teaching the people in parables, stories drawn from real life to teach the truth about the kingdom of God. Uh, So far in the Gospel of Mark, we've heard him teach in the synagogue. We've seen him interact with common folks healing their diseases. We've already heard him say back in chapter 1, verse 38, that the reason he's come to earth was to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. I think it's noteworthy to know that so far in the passage, his teaching isn't limited to the synagogues. He travels to where people are and tells them the stories about the kingdom of God wherever he finds them. He travels from town to town, not expecting folks to come to him, but going to them, teaching and healing. But there is a difference, I think, between teaching and demonstrating. Telling folks about the kingdom, inviting folks into the kingdom is all well and good, but demonstrating that you are the king, as Jesus was, in very public ways, doing very public things, is a very different thing. I'd like to invite you to think today about the difference between teaching and demonstrating. I can tell you not to pour water into hot grease. The temperature of the hot grease is much higher than the boiling point of water. That means as soon as the water hits the grease, it produces an explosion of steam as the water is vaporized. This throws tiny droplets of hot grease, almost like a mist, violently into the air, which allows that grease to burst into a fireball. It's really a bad idea to pour water into hot grease. I can tell you that, but what if I were able to demonstrate to you visibly what that actually looks like? And you know, thanks to YouTube, I can do that. Matthew? Don't pour water into hot grease. That really says it better than I did, doesn't it? I mean, understanding why that happens, one thing, but I mean, the only thing that I can improve on that is if you can feel some of the heat, right? But you can see it's a problem. The stories that we have in this section of Mark that we're going to look at today are the verbal retelling of the demonstration. I don't have YouTube video of these acts of Jesus, but you need to think of them as having made the impact of a demonstration because Jesus has taught and now he's demonstrating. This is Mark 4, 33. I'm going to read all the way to Mark 5 and 20. And as this is the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I invite you to stand for the reading. Mark 4:33 With many such parables he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it 
He did not speak to them except in parables, but he explained everything in private to his disciples. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was dead calm. He said to them, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Chapter 5. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when he had stepped out of the boat, immediately a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. He lived among the tombs, and no one could restrain him any more, even with chain. For he had often been restrained with shackles and chains, chains, but the chains he wrenched apart, and the shackles he broke in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling and bruising himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he had said to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. He begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there were on the hillside a great herd of swine feeding, and the unclean spirits begged him, Send us into the swine, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine, and the herd, numbering about two thousand, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The swine herds ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the demoniac sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion, and they were afraid. Those who had seen what had happened to the demoniac and to the, wine, to the swine reported it. Then they began to beg Jesus to leave their neighborhood. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus refused and said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So Jesus had been teaching, and then he and the disciples get into the boat, several boats, the passage says. It may be that Jesus is just moving on to the next town to continue his preaching, as he said he had come to do in chapter 1, verse 35. They aren't taking anything with them. They enter the boats as they are, but in the night, a storm kicks up. 
Storms are scary. They are beyond human control. Some of these disciples are fishermen. They would not be afraid of a little wind and some dark clouds. They'd been on the sea before, but a full-fledged storm they fear and respect. At first, they just swallow their fear. Then the boats start to swamp, the passage says. It's too far to land, to swim. If they can swim, eventually the fear gets the best of them, and they cry out, Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing here? But Jesus is asleep. He is not afraid. Is he unaware? I don't know. I can't sleep when I'm afraid. When there is potential for danger, I can't sleep. He apparently is not afraid at all. He's cutting logs in the front of the boat. So they wake him up with their cries. And he's surprised that they're afraid. Think about that for a minute. He's surprised that they're afraid. I think it's perfectly natural to be in a small boat in the middle of a storm in the sea. I would be afraid. But Jesus is surprised. And his surprise has to be hinged on the fact that he thinks they know something they don't know, right? If they knew what he knew, they wouldn't be afraid. But it's clear they don't know what he knows. They don't really know who's in the boat with them. If they knew, they wouldn't be afraid. Now, they have already seen some things. He's already taught them some things. He's done some healings. Simon Peter's mother-in-law for one. And even though they've seen these things, they don't yet understand. They haven't figured it all out. They haven't connected the dots. It's not all together in their mind yet. And really, so far, all they've really seen is healings. And it may be that he's just some healer par excellence. Maybe he's just an amazing thing. He's just dealing with people, right? Dealing with people and dealing with the, entom- the elemental powers of nature. We're talking a different category here now altogether. We're dealing with the primal elements of creation, water and wind and the chaotic stuff of nature. Surely this stuff is bigger than all of us, right? I mean, this isn't simple stuff. Jesus is not afraid. The disciples can believe that Jesus is wise. The disciples can believe that Jesus can heal some folks. The disciples can believe that Jesus is more than meets the eye. But when he says, peace be still, and nature obeys, it's not lost on them that this is tantamount to saying that all the earth responds in obedience to the voice of Jesus. This is a whole new category of activity. This blows the disciples' minds, as it should. This is something new. They're filled with awe. We can tell that this blows their minds because they say this very thing. Who is this? Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? We thought we knew who he was. We knew that he was more than meets the eye, but 
who is this? And there's, there's a little bit of awe and fear that creep into them because they've gotten a glimpse at the true power of God. I mean, who is this is a very reasonable and a good question to ask. I mean, who do we know that actually controls the weather? I mean, people might talk about the weather, but they might pretend they understand the weather. But even as simple matters understanding, you know the percentage of accuracy of our weather forecasters, right? So we don't even quite understand the weather, let alone control the weather. Teaching is one thing, but Jesus has demonstrated the power to control everything. It's, it's staggering. We, we put a lot of faith in teaching education, as we should, but by itself, it's not enough. If we look back over even our own short-term history, in, in 1900, just 119 years ago, People in, in growing industrial cities believed that they were at the very peak of civilization and national achievement. There was a grand optimism about society. They lived in what appeared to be settled and stable societies in which very little had changed for centuries. And everyone and everything was in its place. Between 1900 and 1914, 13 million people left Europe hoping for a new life in these settled and stable United States, which was the greatest voluntary migration in human history. Education was the savior that was going to liberate the world from the darkness that went before. People honestly believed that we could educate away all our social problems and difficulties and the society would continue to improve until we reach this utopian state all until 1914. And then that beautiful dream that we were, through education, moving ourselves to perfection, shattered in the face of world war. And we've been recovering from that shattering ever since. And for all the increase of knowledge and education, I'm not sure anybody has the courage to believe that through education alone, we're going to be any better as a society. It's going to take more than just teaching. It's going to take the demonstration of power. And I only know of one power that is able to change things on that scale. Teaching and learning and education aren't enough by themselves. Mark finishes his story and he leaps immediately into a second demonstration of power. And I would encourage you to see the category shift in this. We just dealt with the primal forces of nature and Jesus' demonstration of his power and authority over all of that. And no sooner does the boat land peacefully on shore that immediately Jesus is accosted by a demon-possessed man. We don't get his name. His name has become the demoniac. What a great name to have. You are the one possessed by the demon. The demon has become your identity. This is a man with a reputation. Demon possessed, out of control, 
powerful to break chains and shackles, mentally unstable, shrieks, cuts himself, lives in the cemetery on the far edge of town, ostracized from the community. This is a character to scare kids with at bedtime. The crazy man who lives in the cemetery. And if you don't eat all of your cereal, he may come. And Jesus, fresh out of the boat, fresh out of the encounter with the forces of nature, is confronted by a crazy man possessed by a demon. And the demon speaks first. What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? The town Jesus enters is Gentile for the most part. The term most high God isn't a classic Hebrew term. It's a Greek-influenced term. We're likely on the east side of the Galilee or the Jordan at this point. Some people think that the demon uses Jesus' name because back in that day, they believed if you could speak the true name of someone, it might gain you power over them. It's a nice urban legend that holds no water. Okay, Because the demon gains nothing from knowing Jesus' true name. Notice the demon knows that he is approaching the son of the most high God. I don't understand the logic of that. Why, if you're a demon, you want to approach the son of the most high God, but we'll just write that off to the fact that he's a demon and can't do any better than that. And so we have this confrontation now. No longer a confrontation with the forces of nature. Now we're dealing with the powers and authorities of the spirit world, which is another category other than what we've experienced so far. The demon says, please, for God's sake, don't torment me. Sort of funny, don't you think? I mean, there's a little bit of a joke in this, beseeching God to not torment the demon for God's sake. Jesus calls the spirit out, exercises the demon, and asks his name. Legion, comes the reply, for we are many. Please send us into the pigs. Jesus permits the same. I don't completely understand why. If you read back through the commentaries and the histories of this passage, there are 1,400 interpretations of the symbolism of this particular thing. But regardless of all the nuances in the passage, the thing that is clear is that Mark is showing us the demonstration of Jesus' power over anything that exists that is unseen. All the powers of the spirit world, whatever we can't see or figure out, Jesus' authority extends that far. And now all the pigs, the demon-possessed pigs, rush down the hill and are drowned. The pig herders run to town to tell the news, tell the story. Everyone comes back to see what really happened. And what do they find? A demon-possessed man who is no longer demon-possessed is going to need a name. Clothed, first time in a while, sitting calmly, not chained or shackled. Did we see that earlier? Breaks the chains of sin in our lives. He breaks those chains. Whatever those chains are, he has the power to break those chains. And the, and the man who was once demon-possessed, who is now a child of God, is sitting by the master, peacefully clothed, and in his right mind, Jesus is firmly in control. 
No demons anywhere to be found. Order has been restored. Chaos has been banished. There's no need for Jesus to teach the people at that point that he has power over the demonic. Because here sits the man. Everybody knows his reputation. Everybody knows his name. Everybody knows what he once was. Everybody knows the chains he once dwelt under, the shackles he once bore, and it's all gone, and everything is new. And we assume the lesson is learned. We assume the lesson is learned. When we study the scripture in our day, we want to learn about God. But I'm wondering, can we figure out a way to get a demonstration rather than just learning about what the scriptures teach us about God? Because the scriptures invite us into the kingdom, into relationship with this king. And while it's nice to know that Jesus hears our prayers and answers our prayers, isn't it better just to get an answer? Isn't it better to to pray and ask God to help us? And then when he does, understand that we've received a demonstration of the power of God. Wouldn't you rather have a demonstration than just a lot of knowledge about who Jesus is? What about asking God to act and then cooperating with him to see him act? Because sometimes I wonder if we desire more to be a repository of information about God than a demonstration of the power of God. We need to know God. We need to know about God. But more than anything, we need him to work in our lives. We need to work with him to see his kingdom come. We need to cooperate with the grace that he's continually pouring into our lives. And I don't know about you, but I want to see the demonstration of his power in my life. I want him to remake me and make me better than I am. I want him to use me to communicate his liberating power to my friends and neighbors so that they can know, they can see the demonstration of the power of God in their lives. That's what I'm after. I want to see God work. I want to see God move. I want to see the demonstration. And we are not going to see God move. We are not going to see the demonstration until we ask, until we pray. We are not going to see the demonstration of God's power until we commit to cooperating with him and we begin to move in step with him. We're not going to see the demonstration of God's power until we surrender ourselves to him. Why? Because until we surrender, the danger is we'll think we did it ourselves. We'll want to take the glory. Well, you know, I, I witnessed the 12 of my neighbors this week. Aren't I something? It, it's never been about that. It's been about surrendering to Christ so that he uses us as he gives us opportunity and as he extends his grace and as he breaks chains and as he saves those who are around us. It's all about him. And to the extent that we make it about ourselves, we're confused, we're misguided, and we're ineffective. But if we can prayerfully ask him to work, 
if we can pledge ourselves and surrender to him to cooperate with his work, I believe that we can see the demonstration of the power of God in our own lives. If in the midst of your struggle you say to yourself, oh, I can handle this. That's like saying, God, I got this one. I don't need you on this. You can have a pass on this one. That's not taking us anywhere. If in the midst of my anxiety and difficulty, I say, Father, I need your help. I need you to work. I want to cooperate with what you want to do. You know, it's one thing if those things are in our lives, but what if they're in the lives? What if, what if the anxiety that we own is caused by the circumstances in the lives of our family members or our children or our grandchildren or, or, or other people who have their own will and are exercising their own will? What do you do with that kind of anxiety? Well, all I can say is when Jesus says, peace be still, everything is still. He exercises authority over all the chaos that exists. And he acts in ways that I don't understand to bring people to him. In ways that allows them to perceive him for who he really is. And all we can do is ask and surrender, and invite him to demonstrate his power in our lives and in the lives of the people that we love and in the lives of the people we don't yet know but come one day to love. Jesus isn't finished demonstrating his power. He's not. In just a moment, we're going to receive the communion meal together. And when we receive the communion meal we remember that this is the memorial of the demonstration of the power of God, right? This is us remembering that God, before we were created, fashioned a plan for our salvation. Not only taught us about the kingdom, but demonstrated the sacrifice of the kingdom by giving his life on Calvary's cross, by shedding his blood for us. And that when we remember, we have the privilege again of taking Jesus into our physical bodies so that we symbolically are saying, Jesus, I want you at the very heart of me. I want you in my very soul. I want to embrace you and all that you are so that I can live for you. It's a demonstration of his power. And I hope this morning as we receive together, you will see it just as that. Demonstration of the power of God and the dimension of his love for you. If those who are going to assist me will come at this time, we'll step into the liturgy. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, gracious God, creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. According to your divine plan, Jesus came to earth and lived among us to show us how to live. He died to free us from sin and death, and he lives forever as our faithful, 
and merciful high priest. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This covenant is the new covenant in my blood. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us pray together. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hidden. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Help us now to discern the body of Christ, that we would understand that we are your people, one and all, and that this gift is for all of us together. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts, that in the breaking of this bread and the drinking of this juice, we may know the presence of the living Christ and be renewed as the body of Christ for the world, redeemed by Christ's blood. May your spirit sanctify us that we might be one, united in mission, and committed to loving God and neighbor with all that we are. Amen. I would invite all of you who would like to receive to stand, exit by the side aisles, and come and get the bread and the juice together, returning to your seats so that we can join and taking them together. If you'd like to be served in your seat, someone will come and serve you. You're welcome to receive or not. The body of Christ, the bread of heaven. As once again we take the body of Christ into our hearts, let our hearts be filled with joy. The blood of Christ, the cup of salvation. With gratitude for the provision of our Most High King, let us drink together with rejoicing. As we close this morning, I'd like to sing 
a song that I hope will um, remind us of the character of God expressed to us that we might, re might remember that he's able to do exceedingly more than we can ask or imagine. Would you stand and sing this with me and then we'll close in prayer. He is able more than accomplish what concerns me today. He is able, more than able, to handle anything that comes my way. He is able, more than to do much more than I could ever dream. He is able, more than able, to make me what he wants me to be. And now may the God of peace, who brought from the dead our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Work in you what is pleasing to him according to his will. To the glory of God now and forever. Amen.